0: Welcome to a Leadership in Focus podcast. Today's topic is ethical decision making, a subject that has been at the forefront of PME over the last few years. I'm Jason Moriarty and with me to discuss ethical decision making is Chaplain Michael Fallon. First, thank you Mick uh, for coming in and chatting with me today. Mick has been doing a lot of work in this space and we have, over the last two years, had many conversations offline about how to best apply and evolve in this area. I would like to remind our listeners that everything that is discussed on this podcast is our opinions and is not that of the ADF. OK, Mike, um, I guess we'll start off with... Um, is, do you think it's harder for the soldiers of today than it was perhaps for World War One or Two soldiers?
1: Yeah, look, I think the fundamentals are the same. Ethical decision-making is trying to work out what is right and wrong in any given situation and making the right choice. Uh, and so uh, it could be argued that uh, life was simpler uh, for soldiers in World War One and II. Um, rules were clearer, expectations were clearer, um, social institutions were more influential, um, so that included the role of the church, the role of school, the role of government, the role of social clubs. People seemed to fit in and sort of knew where they fit so in some ways, uh, knowing what is right and wrong could be argued was a little bit more black and white. The flip side to that, unfortunately, is, was that those social institutions had such an influence that it could have actually been constrictive. And if you uh, had a different opinion or saw life a little bit differently from the social norms, then it was a little bit harder to express your own thoughts. So the pressure to conform to social expectations was, for some people, repressive. Uh, And there's certainly a lot of examples of of people pushing against what was the general view. Uh, I I think Australia today is much more multicultural. Um, It's more open to alternative views. And so people who uh, feel that they've got different thoughts have greater permission to express them. Uh, Again, the flip side to that, however, is that uh, sometimes that level of ambiguity means that how do you choose? Um, uh, If there are so many options and they're all valid, everything's right, uh, then how do you actually choose in this particular situation what is the correct decision? Mm. Um, And and for some folk, uh, political correctness uh, is not actually a liberating aspect at all. It's actually quite... Oppressive in its own right. That you have to believe in this certain way. You have to be open, and social political correctness can actually force people down a decision making path, which again is not may not be true for them. Yeah. So I, I think um, for soldiers in both eras there were strengths and challenges. Um, certainly the the role of media was very different. Um, uh, back in the early days, most of the media was what what you're told listened to on the radio or read in the papers. Um, So the transmission of information was probably a lot more narrow, whereas today um, the access to to facts and figures and data and information and opinions and um, conspiracy theories and wild and woolly views through social media does actually create an atmosphere of quite a lot of moral confusion.
0: Yeah, I think when I look at the soldiers of today versus, you know, 28 years ago when I joined, I think the soldiers now are far more open and mm. accepting of the diversity that we see yeah. uh, come into the army, and, and that is absolutely for sure. And actually surprised me. Um, there's, I've had many instances where I thought, oh, this might, or potentially, end badly. And you know, mm. uh, to their credit. Yeah. Uh, they surprised me and handled it uh, uh, mature with a mature head, yeah. uh, and far better than I think we would have handed it, handled it yeah. um, twenty eight years ago. So I think we've definitely come a long way in accepting that diversity. Um, the other, the other one you touched on is is media, and I wonder yeah. whether if back in World War One and Two they had social media, would would have they had the same problems, or is it? Or is it just now that we have social media that it becomes a problem? Yeah, it's a good question. Really, I mean, what social media provides to us now is
1: uh, a range of views from around the globe. Um, mm. Whereas it, it, back in World War One, it was a lot more sort of funneled through our very wide Australian sort of Western viewpoint. Whereas today, uh, social media, we, we we can be searching for information from a variety of views if we want to and that's probably the the other side of social media is so much information that i think human nature starts to look for uh, the thoughts and opinions that you're already aligned to so th- there is certainly a lot of concern that and the algorithms built into social media will reinforce if you think in a certain mm. political way yeah. that's all the news feeds you'll get yep.
0: um so it's a double-edged sword yeah and I, I- I've been uh, on TikTok, and the, the Ukraine war in particular. Y- you can see firsthand what happened today mm. as soldiers go into battle.
1: Yeah,
0: and we have been we have seen that in our army over the last two years mm. about our time in Afghanistan. And you know, I often wonder whether you know whether that's the right thing to do to take to to have videos because um, it's like text messages. Or, or emails, you can read that text any way you can, or yeah. so any way you would like to, yeah. depending on your mood. Um, yeah. I just think there's a lot of um, a lot of risk in that, but certainly in social media there is a lot mm. um, going on.
1: Yeah. Well, look, uh, the, the stories obviously of the the role of censors in World War One and Two, where soldiers writing letters home, uh, you know, the censors put the red lines or the black lines through. Yeah, the bombing of Darwin and World War Two. The rest of the Australian continent didn't know anything about it for years afterwards, because the view at the time was the government needed to control all of the information. Um, but you could also argue: is is sometimes is that a good thing?
0: Yeah. Well, absolutely. So probably not a bad uh, segue into my next question, Mike. Is what positive role do you think that social media can have on decision making?
1: Yeah, look, social media generally gets a bad rap. It's sort of seen as something that is a negative influence on people. But, um, again, that that's just looking at, at the problem side of it. The positive of social media is that it, it does actually give an individual access to a whole variety of other interest groups or people or, or topics or hobbies that you're interested in, and you just would never have connected with people like that as easily as in the past, mm. so I know I know a lot of folk who are probably a little less outgoing than others, uh, who would have never had the chance to express their views and uh, put their ideas up in front of a, a group of like-minded people. And so, I, I think there is a role for for people who are often isolated to find a, a collegial group where they can test their ideas. So, in a mm. positive way. Uh, It can aid ethical decision-making by providing a forum to test your thinking, ask a question, uh, pose a challenge. But again, it it does require an individual to be open to the various uh, views that are out there rather than just streaming down what you're interested in yourself.
0: So what you're saying is it has the ability to to improve your IQ. Mm. My question's around EQ. You know, the amount of screen time that people have. And I'm not just talking about... Um, the younger generation. I oh know I'm just as guilty yeah. as the next person. I'll yeah. jump on the bus or jump on a train. I don't read a book. Yeah. I'll, I'll go onto social media and, and just you know look what's going on. And I often wonder what what the effect is on our EQ and does it have an effect on our decision making? Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, again, a really good question. I think there are emotional intelligence at its fundamental sense is our ability to step away from our worldview or the way we see things and what we think is important and to be sensitive and open to others Um, and to listen in a way that we're not immediately judging them or saying you're right or wrong. It's going, all right, I might not think that immediately in first pass, but I'm going to listen to you and and that's emotional intelligence. Mm. So... uh, the, the distraction of of uh of electronic devices can actually make that harder uh because probably it decreases someone's attention span and level of patience i, I know my my boys at home um if we're outside playing last weekend we were hiking for the weekend they didn't have their devices we sat around a campfire we went walking and their, their initial boredom turned into innovation and curiosity and they started to yeah, imagine. Yeah. And, and it freed them up Yeah, yeah. Beca- because the accessibility of, of our devices means that you can just look at something new every time and you get bored, so you flick to the next app, you flick to the next yeah. channel. So th- the
0: downside is, is that it takes that curiosity and, uh, and imagination away. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. When I look at emotional intelligence, I look at um, when I look at the models. Two things that really stand out: that's self-awareness yeah. and social awareness. And I think mm. our, our our fascination with with devices reduces our social awareness yeah. and understanding what's going on around us, how people are feeling, how they're reacting. And that's yeah. purely because we're not looking at them; yeah. we're looking at our at our phones. You know, and I'm talking about just looking at TikTok or Facebook or whatever, whatever the thing is that you you're mm. attracted to, it's people texting when they could have just got up and walked to the other end of the house. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's that interaction as yeah. well that I think, um, which is an interesting one. And I'd often thought, when you know, does it because we're losing that touch? Mm. How does that affect that? Does it skew our our decision making process, in particular, obviously our ethical decision making?
1: Yeah. Look, I th- I think people in their basic sense are social animals so we we, we want to be connecting with others and social media does that to a certain extent but um, I think most of us get to the point where we we just want to go out and talk to somebody Mm. Um, so however you know there was definitely some certain personality types that are perhaps more compulsive Um, and so that compulsiveness which may in the past have been expressed in Other forms of behaviour. So, yes, compulsive behaviour expressed in the past may have come out in other unhealthy ways like perhaps problem gambling or problem um, drinking or whatever it may be can actually manifest itself through social media or, I guess, social media or online gaming. Um, I I I worked with a guy who was just full into World of Warcraft. That's all he did, all he talked about. Stayed up night playing... uh, in tournaments uh, overseas, and went through a bit of a detox, but but then um, that that compulsive personality of his was expressed in a different way. So, look, I think um, it, look, people talk about the problems of uh, gaming, you, know, you know, GTA and other forms of of games where people get sucked into these alternative worlds, and there definitely are personalities that it is not a helpful, healthy thing, but. I don't think we should paint every person who plays online games in the same picture. I I, I know of a a number of um, gaming groups even in the ADF where it's a real social network. Um, yeah, they they link in, uh, they they check on each other. They they follow up how people are going if they're not there. Or in in that sort of uh, environment of a shared interest, you actually form a community of of mutual support. Mm. Uh, and, and and I do know that that some of these um, uh, ADF uh, gaming forums um, provide excellent uh, opportunities for ethical decision making and a soldier bouncing off ideas or challenges they have at home, perhaps with relationships, uh, and in the safe group of their online forum uh, or the community of gamers that they've they've uh, formed with, then feel the permission to ask questions. So I. I I'd, I think but painting everything in black and white never really helps.
0: Yeah, so I guess everyone's built differently um, and during our formative years when we're influenced by the people around us I guess that forms our morality mm. and starts to then give us our social compass. Yes. Um, so games, if, if you already have, have had bad influences or poor influences in your infancy and during that developmental stage mm. then of course, you know, playing games, too much social media, could just, I guess, make things um, feel more acceptable to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, I think the majority of people, even if they get sucked into a particular game or whatever it is on social media, after a while will work out, you know what, I need to broaden my horizons a bit. Um, I'll give that a rest for a while. And so the majority of people will move on or find other outlets and realise that the relationships that they may have at work or outside uh, where they, they're wanting to form a relationship with with someone else is being impacted by their compulsive behaviour. Most people work that out
0: themselves. Yeah, I agree. So, so essentially one size certainly doesn't fit all mm. um, in ethical decision-making and the framework that we use. In your experience in, in talking to soldiers and young officers about ethical decision making, have there been any observations that you've made that are either concerning or or, or quite positive?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think for the majority of people, they don't realize the ethical framework they use when they make their right and wrong decisions. Um, they make a decision um, and are not actually conscious of what criteria did they use to come to that that decision and so it's a very intuitive thing and it may have been formed by their peers, by their parents by their particular faith or social group uh, and it can be so automatic that you actually presented with an issue and you make a decision and then afterwards you think actually I don't know if that was right So what is good about the ADF and what I've noticed in soldiers and and young officers, as they've gone through their training, they are encouraged and as part of their their training they are taught uh, about different ethical frameworks, uh, thinking about their own belief framework, whatever that might be, uh, and looking at their underlying values that they've grown up with and helping reflect on those. Are they still appropriate and helpful for the the issues that are presented with me right now, mm. and the ADF has a whole range of ethical challenges which are common with the general community. So the basic things of relationships, resolving conflicts, uh, trust and integrity, um, uh, those sort of financial decision-making ethical decisions. That's that's we all share that, uh, but there, there are unique challenges to the ADF. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's that's where. Our soldiers, uh, if they're not quite ready for that, can make des- make decisions which um, they may live to regret. Uh, but as they go through their training and, and the positive aspect of pay- being a part of a community, uh, you start to realise that, uh, no, the ADF values are, is a compass that we use, but then we apply that to a particular context and think things through.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, we've spoken a bit about and, and focused... On you know, a lot of our conversation around the operational space, uh, we're no longer really invested in that at this particular point in time. So a lot of the ethical decision making that uh, affects us is the stuff that we do in barracks, yeah. and some of the poor choices that people make yeah. uh, in barracks that are that see them get into trouble. Um, and I've certainly um, seen that happen on a number of occasions where culture breaks down. Mm people understanding what culture is um, even though from the top the good culture the defence values are forced down through the chains of command but as it gets down to these subcultures it really starts to break down Mm. and the junior NCO um, has a slightly different view of what he thinks or interpretation of what he thinks the defence value is mm. or are and likewise with the, the organisational culture and that's when we start to see some of these um, mistakes being made by our, our junior soldiers. Yeah. Would you have any tips for junior NCOs or, or for that matter for um, leadership teams in general?
1: Yeah, look, um, one of our values is courage. And, and, yep. and I think that's absolutely vital when it comes to this is, is that moral courage uh, and that courage to step into an uncomfortable situation when you know you need to act. So, so moral courage is is that ability to uh, step into a, a difficult or sometimes dangerous situation uh, ethically. And as a junior leader, um, as, as you say, the, there may be very clear understandings of what is right culture from the top, And when it breaks down at the sub-unit level, uh, it's the junior commanders that are needing to have that moral courage to say, look, I have to stop you there. What you're saying or what you're doing or your behaviour is unacceptable. Um, And you might lose friendship, um, and that's one of the challenges of junior leaders. You can be sometimes too close to soldiers. uh, And when you need to be making those those decisions, uh, which are difficult, It it does take moral courage.
0: So, uh, in in your experience, what framework um, has been more successful than the rest? The I think um, situational ethics is
1: uh, is the most appropriate and and often. There's one form of ethics which is called utilitarian ethics, where it's summarised as make a decision works which brings the greatest good for the greatest number of people. But if you just apply that rule to every situation, sometimes you, you're not making the right decision. Then there's the absolutist rule, which says there are, there are clear black and white rules and all you need to do is follow them blindly. And uh, again, it doesn't work out in real life. Mm. So Situational ethics is that ability, and we talked about it before, emotional intelligence, where you take a step back uh, you weigh up uh, what's going on. Uh, you put to your side perhaps your own worldview or uh, ethical framework, and, and you honestly listen. And that emotional intelligence leads to a deeper wisdom, in, in my view. Where and and that particularly leads into when we're operating in a cross-cultural environment. Um, you've you've mentioned that uh, traditionally, when we've taught ethics in the ADF, or particularly in the army, it's been battlefield ethics. Uh, just war theory and the laws of armed conflict. Uh, but you also note that barracks ethics is an important part of how we make the right decisions in barracks. But the third element is really that cross cultural uh, part of making decision making. And certainly for those soldiers that have been on deployments uh, in the Southwest Pacific or other countries where they're operating in a different cultural environment, uh, knowing what is right and wrong and having the cultural intelligence to step back and go this might be right for me in my western culture but it's deeply offensive in this other culture yeah. but that's now reflected in the ADF itself uh, we are much yeah, more multicultural more multi-faith uh, and so the soldiers airmen and, and seamen that are around us uh, coming from such a variety of backgrounds that even the way we teach ethical decision making really is needs to change
0: and is changing yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good point. Something that that um, sp- sprung to mind was I think everybody has made certainly most soldiers, including myself, in you know j- certainly when I was younger, have have made decisions, poor decisions, poor ethical decisions, mm. not on operations but in barracks, you know, with my mates, mm. having a few beers, mm. what sounds like a good idea. Encouraged, egged on, mm. you did it, um, and more than likely the next morning you have some regret. Mm. Uh, what what would you what tips would you give to a young fellow not not a not, not a junior leader, just a, mm. a young bloke who's Who's trying to find his way through what is a fairly complex environment, mm. not just in army, but in general. When we take when we take into account everything we've spoken about, whether that's social media, um, when we talk about the multicultural, multi multi um, faith, there is a lot more hurdles for a young person mm. to negotiate in in the modern in the modern army, um, and I know mm. that that complexity. Um, can make it difficult for them to negotiate, particularly when a lot's at stake. There is no tolerance for unacceptable behaviour and that then adds extra pressure and some of these um, young people um, in a group, like a football club environment, make mistakes. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, look, there's a fundamental human... Drive to want to fit in and to be accepted. Um, and uh, the, the, the Army does that well, fitting into a high-performing team, um, to a subunit. Uh, it, you, you fit in, you're, you're accepted, and that's a strong driver. But, but it also can come out in a negative way when the behaviour of the group is taking a young soldier into a direction that they, they know they probably shouldn't go, but that need to fit in just carries them away, uh, and and is quickly overwhelmed by. Let's just, I'll just do what everyone else is doing. the The advice really to young to to everyone really is to to be true to yourself, um, and that's not easy. Uh, I I, mm-hmm. I know that, but that the more you can develop your own self awareness about w- what is true for you, um, and. And to be clear about when you're breaching that, and look, we all make mistakes, we all do things which we go, you know, that actually really hurt my values, uh, and I'm feeling guilt or shame. Um, and and the shame, you could just cover it up, you put, it up, put up with it because it's good to be part of a group. But if you're true to yourself, you realise that, you know, if I'm really honest, the decision I made went against my personal values, and I'm feeling something about that.
0: Yeah, and and I think you're absolutely right. I think um, status has a lot uh, yeah. to play uh, when it comes to this sort of thing. You mm. know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah, is exactly. another example of a model that mm. that screams needing to feel connected and part of something. Yeah, um, we just need to be better at making the correct decision that that uh, sort of link with our values and like you said understand who you are and, mm. and what your values are mm. and in defence it's important obviously um, to align with defence values.
1: Yeah exactly and and that's one of the early challenges soldiers uh, when they first enlist they, they form a view of uh, what it means to be part of the army in our sense um, and they bring themselves and their life experiences to that and then as they go through a recruit course, they're reminded about what the values of the Army are and the Defence Force, and, and they then have to get their head around, well, how do I personally fit into that? Mm. Because because the, the loyalty to country above ourselves uh, can roll off the tongue fairly easily, but when it boils down to I'm actually putting myself second and my family second or third um, to, to obey the lawful commands of... Uh, of my command, yeah. uh, actually, does come at a cost, yeah. and and probably the biggest challenges that both of us have seen over the years have have been the stresses at home, um, trying to fit into the value and the culture of army, plus trying to keep a family going.
0: Um, yeah, I, I I quite like the advice about you know understanding who you are and having 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 the confidence to say hey. Mm. this is not who I am, yeah. I think this is wrong and we need to stop, mm. um, is a very strong message uh, and I certainly think that that's a message that I'd like you know our listeners to take away from that, that it isn't easy, mm. it isn't easy to have the courage to make the right decision mm. uh, and be unpopular over the easy wrong decision. Correct. All right. Um... Mike, I, I, thanks thanks for coming in. We could we could talk forever um, on discussing um, ethical decision making. Um, I found once again our conversation enjoyable and educational, and I hope that our listeners um, have done the same. Uh, if you can hear in the background the siren going off, we've battled that throughout this podcast, so I've, I apologise for the irritating tone for the last couple of minutes. Uh, but if I can give one bit of advice to our junior leaders, um, look after your people and sometimes that means putting your hand up, going against what everyone else is doing, potentially you know, normalised deviance and making, making the right decision that protects our people because without our people, our equipment is useless. Um, and we need to make sure our people uh, are ready to go at at a moment's notice. So, Mike, thank you again for coming in. I really appreciate it, and I know our listeners do, Um, and hopefully we can talk about this again in the future. Thank you. Thank you.